this one today, guys. John chapter number 19, John 19, and some of you didn't hear me, but you knew where to turn. Uh, John chapter number uh, 19 this morning, and we'll look once again at this passage of Scripture and look forward to what God has for us as we've been in this series, Standing Near the Cross. Oftentimes, I prepare a series that I think will be a help to us. And a good example is when we were in the, the story of the five loaves and two fishes as we were going through our uh, giving campaign. Uh, that was a, a planned series. This series, though, was unplanned. And as I began to study the Lord, I uh, just kind of begin to connect the dots in the Word of God. And I trust that it's been a blessing to you as we have looked at different characters that were present at the crucifixion of Christ, uh, different uh, characters who, in the role that they played in this morning. Uh, we're going to look at some others in John chapter number 19. I'm going to read two verses of scripture this morning, and I'll just go ahead and let you know that we are going to use our Bibles today, and so uh, at some point we'll turn to an Old Testament passage, and we're going to turn to two other New Testament passages, and then we'll end up back in John chapter 19. But let's begin reading verse number 23, read verse 23. In verse 24, then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, wh whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. We're going to look this morning at these unnamed soldiers who were at the cross, who took the garments that Jesus had, and they divided them amongst themselves. On the surface, it seems like this is very insignificant, uh, but we're going to find today that this is very significant. I've given a title to the message this morning. It's a little bit longer title, but you'll, as we get into the message, you'll understand it. The Roman soldiers unknowingly connecting the past, the present, and the future. The Roman soldiers unknowingly connecting the past, the present, and the future. Father, I pray today that you'd be honored by the message. I pray today that Christ would be glorified. Father, I pray for the Spirit of God to... Uh, use me today as your mouthpiece. Father, I pray the Spirit of God would work in lives today. And Father, as you oversee this service, as you are very interested in what takes place here today, you know if there's one amongst us who's unsaved. You know if there's one here who've yet to put their faith and trust in Christ. Maybe they're depending on uh, their own goodness. Uh, may the Spirit of God remind them that they'll always fall short. Maybe they're depending on some works they've done or religious affiliation. Father, may they realize today their need of a Savior. And Father, I pray uh, that your work would be done, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Obviously, we're once again at the crucifixion of Christ. This place that is the place of execution. Obviously, if something this barbaric was a means of execution, people would know would where this would take place. The crucifixions, this was not a one-time thing. This was a standard method of execution, and certainly uh, this was the way that uh, Christ, in their mind, was going to be uh, eliminated as far as these Jewish leaders uh, thought. It was a means of execution, and a barbaric one it was. It took place 
in a public square. This was not a private execution. It was to take place in a, a way where you, where you would have the pastor to go in and out of the gates of the city. This was a place that was probably a point of reference when even directions were given just beyond the place of the skull, just beyond where the crucifixions take place. This was the place, the, I remind you, we've seen in previous weeks that Christ could not even be recognized as a man. He had endured such a beating. The scripture tells us that as he was hung on that cross, you did not even recognize that he was a human being. This was the scene. There was no optimism there. There was no excitement there. It was a place of doom and gloom. Uh, we know uh, that there were soldiers there because we just read of them in our text. Two weeks ago, if you think back, we talked to the centurion uh, who would have been there with, he was a man who, who had some standing. He was a man who would have been a personal bodyguard, if you will. These were your enlisted soldiers. And it was their custom, and they had a right to take the belongings of those that were to be executed. This was part of their spoil for fulfilling their responsibility. And so by taking the clothing of the Lord, it was certainly common practice for what they did that day. The, the text tells us that his, his, part of his, uh, his cloak would have been divided amongst four, which tells us there's four soldiers there. Uh, so they have the cloak or the outer garment, or we have what the scripture calls the coat, or would have been the inner garment, or otherwise known as the tunic. I want you to picture with me uh, those men on the cross, Christ being the focus. There at the crucifixion, we know that family and friends were there because we have already uh, studied about Mary, the mother of Christ there. We already know John, the beloved, was there. We already know there were other family and friends that were there and followers of Christ. Uh, no doubt this was a, this was a sad scene. Uh, there were heartbroken and grievous. Then there were the casual <clears throat> observers. There were those who just came to pass by. They, they may have heard of Jesus. <clears throat> Maybe they've never heard of him teach, but they came by to witness the execution. They came by to see what was taking place. You have these soldiers who callously and casually uh, concerned only <clears throat> about what they could gain. Think about this. This was just the another execution in their mind. This was just another crucifixion. And because there is a crucifixion, we're going to make a profit today. Because there is someone being condemned to death, we're going to take their clothing, their belongings, and we're going to walk away with a little bit more today. That is all that it was to them. If we take a closer look, these unnamed, nondescript Roman soldiers who blend into this horrible scene, I mean, think about it. How many times have we read the account of the crucifixion? It's not what grabs our attention, obviously. The crucifixion of our Lord is what grabs our attention. And just blending into that scene are these unnamed, nondescript soldiers who just kind of become part of the story. But actually, they are very significant to this important event. To the casual observer, they are an accessory to the story. But upon deeper study, we find these Roman soldiers unknowingly connected the past, the present, and the future. You may ask, Pastor, how in the world do they do that? And 
We're going to look this morning at how they were, were even used in their, in, their, in their mundane duty, in their callous existence. They were used by God to fulfill a specific task. I want to say number one this morning, as we think of the present, we think of the crucifixion of Christ, the present in the story that we read this morning, <clears throat> the present in that day when Christ in his sinless perfection was nailed to that cross where he gave himself to be that sin sacrifice. I want us to place ourselves just for a moment in the story we read this morning. I want you the best you can to, to picture that dark scene and, and the crosses that were there and the, and, the, and the men that were nailed to those crosses and, 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 and the weeping that may have been heard. And the scripture tells us that there were some that were just mocking and those chief priests come by and, and they would say, if you be the son of God, won't you bring yourself down and the mocking that took place and, and the horrible scene that is there and then kind of blending in are these four soldiers dividing up the spoil. They come to the garments of our Lord. And may I remind us that Christ left everything and he came to this earth and had nothing because he came to fulfill a purpose. That purpose was to lay down his life for all of men. But I want to say, number one, that there was more than a coat but a revelation. Look at your Bible, if you will. In verse 23, then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier, a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. That's very important for you and I to understand. Let me remind you what I've already mentioned. When we hear the word coat, we think of that which goes on the outer of our clothing. This was not the case. It, the, the coat would have been that which was under the clothing. The outer garment was what the scripture tells us that they divided. There were seams in it. If you've probably done this, you've had something rip at the seam. That is the weakest part of the garment. And so they could easily divide the outer garment by just tearing it at the seam. But the inner garment was, was a little different. They discovered... Uh, much to uh, their dismay, it was not, there was no seams. It was only one garment. Therefore, it could not be divided unless you ruined the garment. The outer garment was simply that which would uh, be go over the inner garment. The coat, if you will, was actually that which was under, and it would go from the, the, the neck all the way down to the feet. When the soldiers got to the coat, they discovered there was no seams. Thus, we find the scene of them casting lots. Who's going to win <clears throat> this coat? Who's going to win this garment? Now, if these soldiers were familiar with Jewish customs, and if they understood and they weren't blinded by their greed, they would have realized the significance of it being one piece. Say, Pastor, why, why is that significant? The typical coat was made of more than one piece. And it would have been tied together at the shoulders. And, and that, that, that coat, if you will, that undergarment uh, that was loosely fit, and then the outer garment that they divided by the seams was a, clo a cloth, if you will, or if you could think of a, a big towel, if you would, that would be placed over that coat or that undergarment. But when they got to that coat, as we've already seen, they had to cast lots for it because there was no seams. 
This was unusual because the undergarment, that coat, was always of multiple pieces. You say, Pastor, why are you bringing this up? Because Scripture is clear that the coat was without a seam. This is significant because while the average man would have worn one with multiple pieces, where there would have been a seam, there would have been places it was tied together or fastened together. The average man, a coat, consisted of more than one piece. But the priest wore a one-piece garment. The one-piece coat was that which a priest would wear. You say, why is this significant? Because Hebrews chapter number 9 tells us why this is significant. And if you want to take time to turn there, you can. I'm not going to wait on you because I have a lot to get to this morning. But in Hebrews chapter number 9, beginning with verse number 6, the Bible says, Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. Now, the Old Testament priests would take that blood into the tabernacle, would go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle that blood as a sin payment for himself and for the people. But now there's a, a new high priest. And in the present, in that story, Jesus is going to fulfill that which he came to fulfill. Those soldiers, they took the outer garment and easily divided it because it had seams. But wait a minute. The, the undergarment, <clears throat> that coat, did not have any seams because it was one garment. It was the same as the priest would wear. Say, so why is that significant? Because we're going to see in the book of Hebrews that Jesus was going to act as our high priest. He was going to take the, the same blood that he shed on the cross of Calvary. He was not going to enter into a, a, a tabernacle made with hands, but he's going to enter into the holy of holies in that place called heaven and take his own blood and sprinkle his own blood on the mercy seat. See, a little insignificant thing of them casting lots over the, the one-piece garment. It, he was there as that high priest and he was going to take his own blood and sprinkle that blood for the, for the sins of the people. We read in verse number 7, But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, <clears throat> this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle while yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered in, in, in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctified through the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also a necessity be that death 
of the testator. What the scripture is reminding us and teaching us, uh, for, for the blood, there had to be a death. That, that, that lamb had to be slain in the Old Testament. But now comes a New Testament. Uh, who is the New Testament? The New Testament is the Lord Jesus Christ. There had to be a death. That's why he's on that cross. And little did those soldiers know that they were casting lots over that priestly garment because the great high priest was now going to take his own blood there in that present scene. And he was going to enter into that holy of holies and he was going to sprinkle his own blood on that mercy seat for the sins of all mankind. For when Moses, verse 19, has spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled with both the book and all the, led both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Christ was our sin sacrifice. Verse 26, look at verse 25. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year of blood of others. But then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He is on that cross. Those soldiers just thought they were fulfilling their responsibility Here's another criminal that we're going to execute. Let's get it on. Let's get it over with so we can take the spoil. And they had the, the, the garments of Christ, and they easily divided those garments of that outer coat. But then when it came to the coat, which was the inner garment, it was that one piece because it was the, 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 the garment that the priest wore. It was at no seams. It was of one, one, one piece. That's because, as we've already been reminded, Jesus, as he said, it is finished. Now, as the high priest would take his own blood and enter into that holy place where no man could enter, and after his death, sprinkle that blood, and that blood would cover the sins of all mankind. Little did they know they were in the presence of that high priest who would pay for the sins of mankind. But we not only see the story there in the present, but we also, number two, we have a fulfillment of prophecy, which takes us to the past. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Psalms, chapter number 22. Psalms, chapter number 22. We see the significance of that coat, that priestly garment, as Jesus, our high priest, who needed to die once, his blood sprinkled on the mercy seat in heaven. Now notice as we look at a fulfilled prophecy, which brings us to the past. Not only do we have the significance of what is taking place on Calvary, we go to the past in Psalms 22. I will not read, read but a few verses, but you may notice the first, few ver the first few words of Psalms 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But I want you to skip down to verse number 16. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. And I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Here we have of that time when our Savior has already 
endured the beatings of man. He has already had the crown of thorns placed upon his head. He's already endured the, the, the beating of the cat of nine tails. And now he's been nailed. His, as the, the psalmist uh, prophesied, he has been nailed to the cross through his hands and through his feet. He is not even recognizable as a man. And there somewhere in the, in, the, in the proximity of that cross are these four Roman soldiers dividing up the spoil. They have no idea the significance of that coat. But we know today that Christ was there for a purpose because sin had to be paid for. Sin had to be cared for. And he was the only one as the great high priest who could fulfill that task. But those soldiers were also fulfilling a prophecy. Long before they ever took their first breath on this, this earth as a, as a baby. Long before their parents ever entered into life into this earth. Long before their grandparents ever entered into life on this earth. Way back before Christ, there was a psalmist who under the inspiration of God penned the words telling of the time when they would part and they would, they would, they would, try, they would gamble for the, the, the clothes of the Lord Jesus Christ. There in the present, there's soldiers, unsuspecting, nondescript. We don't even know their names this morning. They were in the presence of what God was going to do in fulfilling the task of redemption. But it tied all the way back to the past when it was prophesied, the Lamb of God is coming. The land of God is going to pay for the sins of the world. There's coming one, and, and the prophets preached of him and prophesied of him and said, you need to look for the Messiah. You need to look for the Son of God to come. There comes one that's going to pay the sins of the world in the in Psalms. There's the prophecy of the time when they will gamble over the clothes. So now we have the present connected to the past by a fulfillment of prophecy. Friend, if it hasn't been good yet, it's going to get good now. As I read this passage of Scripture... There are many things, as we've already seen, that you can unpack from those soldiers that day. But there is a word that catches my attention. It stands out more than any other word. It's a word that if you take it out of context of Scripture, it just means what the definition says it means. It means a, a, a coat. It means a, a robe. It means clothing. But as we read in verse 24... They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them. And for my vesture, they did cast lots. We know that priestly garment, the significance of it there in the presence of the cross. The priest who wore that garment, Jesus Christ, was going to act as the high priest for all mankind and sprinkle his own blood that had to be shed for the sins of mankind. The, the fulfillment of prophecy that takes us back to the past when, when the, the psalmist wrote that, that the day is going to come when the hands are going to be pierced, the feet are going to be pierced, and those soldiers are going to cast lots over the clothes. But notice that word vesture. When I read this passage of Scripture and I read the verse, read the word vesture, it has a simple definition for my vesture, which is a, 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 a clothing, a, a garment, a robe. This is just a common word, is it not? But if you want to really get the concept of the word, we think of the present there, that garment, that coat, 
that the priest wore. We've already gone back to the past when there was prophesied that the Messiah is going to come, the Savior of all mankind is going to come, and he is going to take away, he's going to pay for the sins of the world as the spotless lamb. There at the foot of that cross, we're tied to the past because prophecy has now been fulfilled. Not that you could, you know, could no longer prophesy, and those that try and do it today, they are wrong. Scripture has been fulfilled. You could no longer prophesy that the Son of God is coming. He came. He lived on this earth. He, 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 he accomplished his ministry. He went to the cross so he could fulfill his priestly duties. But now, this passage of Scripture, there, that scene, if you will, with those unknown soldiers, not paying attention to what's going on around them, but how can I add more to what I own? Now we are going to look to the future and see how that little scene connects to the future. Remember that word, vesture, if you turn to, to Revelation chapter number 19. Revelation chapter number 19 in verse number 11. John is having revealed to him the things that are going to take place. And beginning in verse number 11, and I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written, that, he no, that no man knew but he himself. If you're not familiar with this passage of Scripture, I'll tell you who this is. This is the same one who was on that cross that day. This was the same one that was prophesied about. This is the same one who, who, they, who they stripped the priestly garment off to him. And they put him up in the shame for all of the world to see. This is the same one who entered into that holy place that no other man could go to sprinkle his own blood to, to, to pay for the sins of mankind. Now that word vesture points us to the future. Because man stripped a vesture off of him when they nailed him to that cross. But little did they realize that that word vesture is going to be used once again. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to have another vesture on. Look with me at verse 13. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Friend, in that little scene right there on that cross that day, the Lord Jesus Christ was nailed to that cross. And if you go up a few verses prior to our text, there's Pilate who inscribes, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. They stripped that priestly vesture off of him, that coat they, they take off of him. But yet the high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, still fulfilled his responsibility and sprinkled his own blood so you and I could have redemption. Because as the book of Hebrews reminds us, there had to be a death and there had to be blood applied. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. But there at that little scene that day, that word vesture points to the future where the Lord Jesus Christ is going to take another vesture. 
and it's dipped in his own blood. And he's going to put that vesture on. And as he comes, it doesn't say, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. Oh, no, he comes back, and on his thigh, a name written, he's not just Jesus, the king of the Jews, as some Roman uh, Caesar would scribe in mockery. He says, I am king of kings and Lord of lords. He's not just the king of the Jews. He's the king of every nation. He's the king of every man. He's the Lord of every Lord. There is no higher authority than the Lord Jesus Christ. And the day is coming when, as we read in Revelation 19, No matter what takes place on this earth, and of course, we're going to be raptured out of here. And we're going to witness with our own eyes the saved, the redeemed. This same one who was led as a lamb to the slaughter. This same one who answered not his accusers a word. This same one who was beaten and mocked and nailed to that cross that day. He's coming back. But he's not coming back as as a babe in a manger. He's coming back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's coming back with the saved and the redeemed. And Jesus Christ will take his rightful place as the ruler of all men. He will take his place as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he will smite all nations. He will bring the judgment that God sends. Four soldiers. There's the present. The high priest. He's going to take his own blood and pay for the sins of mankind. That little scene takes us to the past. When David, out in those fields, David, who had heard, who knew the prophecies, that one day the Son of God is coming. That same David, who the prophet said, from the house and the lineage of David. I wonder what must have gone through David's mind. From my lineage, from my house, the Savior is coming. The past, the present, and ladies and gentlemen, the future. You get a glimpse of the future, but that little scene that often doesn't get the attention that the other events get of that day. But it reminds us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It reminds us that God is not bound by time. He is not bound by that which which you and I are bound by. It reminds us that He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords because only God could be in the past. Only God could be in the present and be in the future. He is coming back. He's coming back as a conquering king. I close with this. This last observation I make, I find about those Roman soldiers. We have seen how they unknowingly connected the past, the present, the future. But I make this last point in number four. I mentioned just very simply, they had a temporal focus. They were only concerned about what they could obtain. They were more concerned with the spoil than the Savior. They only wanted to care for their temporal needs. How sad to be so close to salvation, but so far away. 
How sad to be in the presence and to cast lots over the garment that that great high priest, who was unlike any other, had previously worn and not have an understanding of who it was whose clothes they were gambling over. How sad to be in the presence of man's redemption, but yet unconcerned with the reality of eternity. We know it wasn't this way with everyone. We think of the centurion and how he was there just doing his task. He was there just doing his duty, but yet when it was all said and done, he proclaimed, truly, this was the Son of God. But these soldiers, they were more concerned with what they could get that day. They were more concerned with that which was temporary. But yet today, so many are the same. They attend a church service, and they are as lost as can be. And they're as close to salvation as they can get. The altar call comes. And the pastor says, come if you need Christ. Come if you need salvation. They were so close, about as close as some soldiers who were aware of who they said he was. They were aware of the, the controversy around him. But yet, they were more concerned with what they had going on in that day than their own eternal soul. That there are many who grow up in a Christian home, but they, that does not save them. There are many today who turn their back on the Word of God, and they're only concerned about putting money in their pocket. They're only concerned with the inscription that is on it. Well, they know it says, in God we trust, but they have no idea, they have no understanding of who God is. They have no understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Like the Roman soldiers, they're in the presence of Christ but unaware of redemption. I wonder if there's anyone today you're too concerned with the temporary to realize there is an eternity. Many will join, sadly, many will join the Roman soldiers by perishing in the flames of hell while living in the shadow of the cross. You can't die and go to hell after sitting in a Baptist church. You can't die and go to hell even though your grandmother was saved. You can die and go to hell after hearing message after message after message after seeing others saved, after seeing others believe, it does not matter that you exist in the shadow of the cross. Only thing that matters is you put your faith and trust in who was on the cross and what he did on the cross and paid for your sins, and his own blood covers your sins. I'm afraid there are many unsuspecting how unsuspecting those soldiers were. They only lived for the temporal, and yet they were in the very shadow of the Son of God. They were in the very presence of God's plan of redemption being played out, and they ignored it because they were too concerned with what they were dealing with today. I wonder how many have left the Baptist church after hearing a message of salvation and said, I've got things to do today. I wonder how many somebody has stopped them and tried to give them a gospel try and said, I'm too busy today. Friend, time is not waiting on anyone. How shocked. In that instant, those soldiers took their last breath. The centurion declared he was the son of God there at that scene. 
But I promise you when those soldiers took their last breath, they knew they were in the presence of the Son of God. Because they perished without Him. Friend, this morning, may we be reminded of what Christ did that day on Calvary. May we look to the past and what was prophesied about our Savior. Friend, there's a lot of turmoil in this world today, isn't there? Pastor, what should we be doing? The scripture tells us to look up because our redemption draweth nigh. The day is coming when all the armies of the world will assemble together. But there is one who they stand no chance against. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. Do you know today that you're saved? Do you know today that you're on your way to heaven? It will do you no good. There will be nobody standing at the great white throne of judgment as they stand before the very one that was crucified, who is now the judge, and say, my, my, my family member was saved, or, or, or I, heard, I heard a message, no, you must know for sure you're saved. That centurion may have been the commanding officer of those soldiers we don't know, but the fact that he declared Jesus the Son of God did them no good unless they declared it. And friend, this morning you better know you're saved. And if you're saved, be reminded of what Christ did that day as our priest. Be reminded of what through the centuries those prophets prophesied of. And friend, it's because of salvation we can look forward to that day when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords takes his rightful place. So, Pastor, are you worried about all of these behind-the-scenes things that are taking place in the world today? Not one bit. Not one bit. Because there's one coming, and his name is Jesus. Father, I pray that...